0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air, online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films, every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the film My Koi and the Dissidents, we follow the life and the times of Vietnamese singer-songwriter My Koi After the patriotic Themes of her first song launched her into stardom in her native country of Vietnam. Mai Khoi's personal and artistic growth takes her to places that put her own life in jeopardy. A shift from pop star to activist sees Khoi run for office, advocate for women's rights, and sit down with President Barack Obama. Her aspirations to release an album with her new band, The Dissidents, are challenged by the looming retaliation by the authoritarian Vietnamese regime, leading the young activist to take drastic measures. And with that I'd like to introduce to our audience the director, producer and writer of the film My Coy and the Dissidents and that would be Joe Piscatella. Joe, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you. Um, tell me, I I I'm being surprised on a regular basis now by these documentary films that are coming out about the political situations in South Asia. This is one of uh, uh, many that seems to be coming to the forefront now and as you get ready for your premiere at Doc NYC, tell me a little bit about how you came to know about Koi and what prompted the, uh, the project to, to turn it into a documentary.
1: Sure. Well, I make films, uh, I guess the, the theme that's the, the running through line uh, is I make films about unlikely people that stand up to huge power structures no matter what the risk and I've made films about a made a film about a fifteen year old girl in Chicago that helped run the Syrian Revolution I made the Joshua Wong film uh, called Joshua Teenager vs Superpower that was about Joshua Wong kicking off all the events we've been seeing in Hong Kong over the last couple years really a lot of the bubbling up over the last year and so me and my team are always on the lookout for what are interesting stories that we can get people interested into a personal story about a public issue. And when we came across my Coy story and met with Coy and got to know her and saw what her struggles were, we thought, okay, there's really an interesting film here. And so my team uh, and I went over to, to Vietnam and, and we were based out of Hanoi and uh, my team followed her for about 18 months.
0: And you really do have an intimate um relationship with with her and the people around her including her husband uh, Ben Swanton um, was there was there sort of a, a learning curve in terms of your establishing this level of intimacy with Mai and her team how did that sort of initial foray into her life uh, go for you and talk a little bit about the relationship you were able to develop over that period of time
1: Koi was very open uh, to us when we first landed in Hanoi, and I'm very appreciative to Koi and her husband and her, her band and, and kind of her world. She gave us access, but Koi is also somebody who she's done hundreds of interviews. I mean, she was one of the biggest pop stars in Vietnam. She is somebody who has been asked the same questions over and over again, and she's really got her answers down. And really my goal as a filmmaker was how do we get past the pat answers from her, and really try to get to what drives her, what she's about, and what what this message is. Because one of the, the one of the topics that really drew me and my team to this story was you, when you look at celebrity activism, especially here in the United States, it's a fairly low stakes game. Yes, it's courageous for people to speak up on whatever topic they are, but they're really only risking alienating some fans. And in Coy's case the risks are just way higher, and the stakes are higher. I mean, she's not risking just alienating fans. She's risking her own life uh, when she angers the government with her message of free speech and and freedom of expression.
0: Yeah, this is probably a good opportunity to kind of talk about Vietnam, and I'll, I'll speak as an American citizen who likes to think that we stay apprised of the world around us. But I have to tell you, uh, I, I was sort of under the assumption that Vietnam had become more or less a quasi-capitalist society and that the, the opportunities for political dissent were on a, on a sliding scale of what the world is, were generally okay. And in terms of that, but the, there's a very different picture painted in uh, My Khoi and the Dissidents uh how what was your familiarity with the situation of vietnam it sounds like you kind of were apprised of what was going on there but tell us a little bit about the government and its uh, hold on power sure
1: sure well you know vietnam's controlled by a single party communist state and they do not take dissent in any way shape or form and again, one of the attractive things about this project for me and my team was, I actually didn't know that. My, my view of Vietnam is the view that has been sold to all of us of, hey, Vietnam's an amazing place to see these lovely beaches, and it's a great place to go on vacation, and there's some great sights to see, and it's a great place that's open for business. If, you, if you're looking to do some manufacturing and you don't want to go to China, Vietnam's a great alternative. And so my assumption was always exactly what yours was of, well, it's a communist state, but it's really a capitalist state right. that allows all of this to happen. And so if that's going to happen, there must be a, at least some degree of freedom. And when we really started kicking the tires on this story, it was a, we really looked at this harsh reality of what they're selling to the rest of the world and what's going on at home are two very, very different things in Vietnam. And in Vietnam, yes, it is open for foreign investment and capitalism, but it's really the top government officials that are getting fabulously rich off of this. And there's, it's a country that's fraught with corruption. And I was just very surprised at, at how it... At, I mean, there's truly no dissent in Vietnam. I mean, we've seen instances where a four-sentence Facebook post against the government it means a crackdown. It means we've seen people go to jail for something as little as speaking out on a, on a social media platform. So you go into the streets like Coy is doing or trying to rally people around a message, and suddenly the, the government gets scared. I mean, that's something that they do not tolerate, and they shut it down immediately.
0: And this is just sort of my observation on these things, and that is that the smaller economies, the smaller countries in the world, tend to take on the identity of the larger uh, countries and the larger economies. And th- they sound like a version of China, uh, just just as you describe it. And now we have this added element here in our own country where someone has come into power who seems to embrace and ad- admire regimes that are totalitarian or, or some or some version of totalitarian. So these are these are immense forces and which makes uh, Mai Khoi's speaking out her actions puts it in, a, in an even more perilous frame uh, point of view for, for what she's doing. So it just seems like the world is it tends to mimic the people who are the most powerful. And that's, I think, Vietnam, it sounds to me like. Is, is that a, a fair assessment?
1: That, no, that's a very good assessment. And something that happened while we were filming uh, this, and it, and it becomes part of the story, is in the midst of, of our filming, Trump gets elected and he started praising authoritarian strongmen. You know, he's praised Putin, he's praised uh, Xi in China, he's pra- praised Duarte in the Philippines, and... We've all, you know, the United States has always been sort of the beacon of human rights. I'm not saying we've done everything well or everything correctly, but we were supposed to be the gold standard of, or at least being the model for human rights in the world. And under Trump and his praising of these authoritarian strongmen, suddenly Vietnam, the Vietnamese Communist Party, saw that as a green light to go after dissidents and crack down harder than they had before. And, you know, the rationale was, oh, we've been given the green light. You know, the United States isn't going to be the one that's going to come in and stop us or sanction us or do all the things that a normal administration would do to try to keep some of these human rights issues at a minimum. We've got a green light to do whatever we want, and that's kind of what they've done.
0: And even more so, let's start signing trade agreements with these Vietnamese leaders. Which also is another form of reinforcing the notion that it, it, that a totalitarian state is great for business. <laughs> it's hard not to see that connection. For me personally, I don't want to get too far into this, but I, I feel like there is something to that idea that a government that keeps tight rein on its people uh, is is a better environment for some of the bigger corporations that, that do do business with those com- uh, countries. So,
1: well, foreign businesses want stability yeah. and an authoritarian government often can offer stability and and to be to be perfectly frank this isn't while trump has given the vietnamese party communist party a green light to really crack down it's not just a trump thing i mean we saw even with with obama human rights took a back seat in vietnam for a trade agreement
0: it's in the film there there's exactly right so i and by the way uh we're speaking with Joe Piscatella. He is the director and writer and producer of the film My Coy and the Dissidents, and it's at screening at uh, Doc NYC. So you have an opportunity to check it out. Is there another platform for people to kind of keep apprised of wh- where you are with the film and sort of it's as it moves towards uh, theatrical release and distribution and all those kinds of things?
1: Yeah, the the best place to find out about it is actually following me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at J Piscatella. Uh, J as in Joe. Piscitella, Piscatella. P I S C A T E L L A. And I'm sort of the the hub of keeping everybody apprised of uh, where the film goes from here.
0: Okay, great. So let's get back to my Coy and her and her story. I don't want to get too far down that road, but thank you because I give it gives the film context. For what we're talking about. So she was a wildly popular singer. She uh, wrote a song about the country, Vietnam, and it just launched her into a whole other orbit as a singer and a songwriter. And she comes from, tell us a little bit about where she comes from and how this song launched her into this different world, if you will.
1: Sure. So she was somebody who had always wanted to be a singer and she had a beautiful voice and was musically talented. And she grew up in this this kind of seaside town called Cam that's uh, fairly low on the socioeconomic level in Vietnam. And, uh, you know, she talked to us about, you know, she grew up with just enough to eat. Um, Some days, maybe not quite enough. And she decided she wanted to be a singer. She moved to Saigon. She, you know, uh, wrote four albums of songs that never quite did anything. And they were all kind of love songs that were popular in the early 2000s. Um, or that style was popular, and one day her dad said, "Why don't you write something about our amazing country?" And she went and wrote the song called "Vietnam" that just catapulted her to instant success. I mean, suddenly it was on the radio everywhere. It became a bit of an anthem. Even the Vietnamese government latched onto it and used it. In fact, I believe they still use it for to promote tourism and to uh, to promote. Uh, to to promote the country. Goodwill. And and so so suddenly she was launched into a a life that she had only dreamed about. And in Vietnam, it's almost entirely state-run media. So if they decide you're the next pop star, you really are the next pop star. And she was on television every night. She was singing on television, and she was at government events as the singer, and she was on game shows and just became this really wildly popular figure in Vietnam. And there was something that just started rubbing her the wrong way about what she was achieving. And she was starting to see some of the human rights issues with some other artists that she knew that were speaking out. But it really came to a head for her when she decided that she wanted to record a follow-up album, and she didn't want to run it through the censorship committee. In Vietnam, all lyrics have to go through a censorship process, and it's one that. When you talk to artists in Vietnam, it's very arbitrary what they decide to censor and what they don't. And she felt that she had achieved a level of stardom that maybe she could circumvent this. And so she released this new album Uh, the first week. It had 300,000-plus downloads, and the government decided that you don't get to go around us and put out an album without our approval, and they had it yanked from the Internet.
0: She's She's married to uh, someone. that's a non-Vietnamese person. His name is Ben Swanton. Um, it it feels like we don't have a, a whole lot of backstory on him, but it does feel like he may have had something to do with her sort of opening up her her vista to the world around her. Uh, or is that true? Am I am I extrapolating here um, unnecessarily? What's Ben's? Really- I
1: don't think he drives or drove her decision making process to go from pop star to dissident. He's somebody who has worked in NGOs. He's somebody that has has been in Vietnam for for, uh, some time, even before he met Coy. And I think he is somebody that has just been a real supporter of what her mission is and what her message is. Um, So I think it's still Coy who leads the message. Ben's just a supporter rather than it being the other way around.
0: Well, the the film, in, in addition to uh, my Coy, there are the musicians, and we spent a, a fair amount of time in the film, kind of getting to know their backstory and how perilous it is for them, uh, personally and professionally, to be associated with with coy. Uh, And I think that it gives the it really rounds out the film. I mean, it, it's it, it, it's uh, we not only are we getting her story, but through them and through the film we're getting a, a feel a sense of what it is like in Vietnam and how omnipresent the security forces are and i i am curious how you, what you learned about Vietnam that you would be able to share with us and we're talking about this totalitarian system but what does it feel like when you're in a country like that you're an outsider obviously an american you're coming into a country like that but what is there sort of the in what are you taking in as you're not only filming her, but I'm sure you're taking a lot of sort of security precautions, personal precautions. What does that feel like for you as a just as a someone coming in from the outside?
1: You're always looking over your shoulder uh we We flew under the radar for quite some time on the film, and then at a certain point, we just were no longer under the radar. Obviously we were you know everywhere my coy went, there was a small film crew that was following her. We had to be very cautious about where we filmed. I mean, it was mostly indoors. Um, Very rarely were we going out onto the streets with, with her. Once Coy, in the middle of the film, despite having been banned from performing in Vietnam, Coy does a secret show, and this is a show where she wants to showcase some of these this new album that she's working on. that's very anti-government, and. She's known for, you know, the, the email blast goes out to a very small group of ardent fans who know a couple hours before the show, oh, Koi's going to play tonight, let's all go. And one of those shows got raided by the police. And once that happened, everything changed for our production. Um, suddenly, my cameraman was being followed. Um, there would be a shakedown at the airport when he would fly in between shoots where they'd want to know where he was going and what he was doing and what he wanted with this equipment. You know, there was an incident where Coy's apartment gets raided in the film. Our production offices were just upstairs. I mean, our, my producer and my cameraman were literally throwing hard drives in the bags and running out the back door uh, for fear that the apartment above Koi was going to get raided as well. And all of our equipment and, and footage and hard drives would be taken.
0: Well, and also there's a, a sizable, contingent of Vietnamese working on the film. Do you, do you have any sense, and do you want to talk about this?
1: Sure. No, we had a, there were a lot of people that ultimately were helping us in Vietnam. Everyone had been vetted. We knew that everybody who was a part of our production was, there's an estimate, and, and I don't know how true this is, but what we had always been told is, I think it's one in six Vietnamese is somehow part of the security apparatus, whether it's just watching the neighborhood and reporting back to their local uh, office, or somebody more actively involved in, in being part of a, the secret police force. But that makes you—you're always looking over your shoulder. We were doing it as filmmakers, but Vietnamese people are always looking over their shoulder. They're constantly self-censoring because they don't know who's at the table next to them. They don't know who their neighbor really works for, and that really is an unsettling feeling because it truly is a place where you don't have freedom of speech and freedom of expression just for the fact that you don't know who's going to report you for saying something.
0: Mm. It sounds very East German-ish. There was the whole Stasi and how how pervasive the police state was. And it's not just East Germany during the Cold War. I mean, there's vast... Oh, a vast amount of examples. China's <clears throat> a current one with uh, with what they're doing with the surveillance state. And I I, I guess <clears throat> one of the things I I come away from watching uh, Mike Hoy and the dissidents is that th- there we are a kind of frogs in the in the boiling water right now. There's a lot of countries that we assume are a certain way but are turning in a, in a very different direction. And I think it serves all of us well to be paying attention to the world around us, even though we seem to be consumed about our own domestic politics. The world is becoming more and more um, oppressive around the world, and for no good reason. Joe, how do you feel? Am I, again, am I off off the rails here a little bit? Or
1: No, I, I'm in, in agreement with you. And when we started this film we weren't ever looking at it as, oh, this is a broader message that we can all take a lesson from in the Western world. And as we got into editing, it suddenly became, oh, this is a little bit of a cautionary tale for where we're heading. Obviously we're not in a place where it's like the like Vietnam where mm-hmm. where free speech is completely cut off. But we're we're entering a world of self censorship. I mean we've now seen it with the MBA in China and some of these issues where people are really stopping and thinking, "Oh, am I really going to say this? And am I really do I really want to anger the government or those in power? And so I think you're absolutely right in in the way that we're we're headed. I mean, one of the concepts that that we touch on in the film, and it's one that really sort of fascinated me about all this is in Vietnam, they call it the fuzzy red line. What's the thing that's going to push you over the top to where the government cracks down on you. Mm. And nobody quite knows where the fuzzy red line is. It's very different for everybody. And if you're somebody who is, and I won't say nobody, but you're somebody who's a worker, you're somebody who's a, a low-level sort of a professional, When th- there's a system of how they come after you. And, you know, first they they're, they're going to go talk to your parents and say hey you know your kid was up to your kid was at a protest today maybe you should talk to him and your parents will sit you down and they'll tell you you got to stop doing this you're going to get yourself in trouble you're going to get us in trouble and then if you don't stop they go to your boss and now at this point they're now looking to cut off your livelihood you know maybe your boss gives you a warning maybe he fires you uh, after that they go to your landlord and maybe your landlord kicks you out maybe he gives you a warning if you continue down this road, that's when something, you know, the secret police might show up at your house and you might get arrested. You might get beat up in the streets. That's when when real danger starts to hit. Okay. For somebody like my coy, the fuzzy red line is because she's so visible is a little higher than it would be for a blogger or an online activist. But the trap door can open up at any point for any of them, yeah. and that's the real question: What's you know, where's the fuzzy red line for each of these people?
0: We see it in in Mikeo and the dissidents uh, is that, and we see it around the world uh, beyond Vietnam is that whenever, with almost without exception, in fact I would say without exception, totalitarian regimes are also vastly corrupt, and it is basically about a money grab. It's a smash and grab operation all over the world with these totalitarian regimes. They are they are bleeding these countries dry. And so that's another component part that makes it so galling and so infuriating, is this is just naked power grab for money and for power. So. It
1: absolutely is. Where Vietnam for us differed was, in some of my other films, like in Hashtag Chicago Girl, it was about Syria. It's coming from the top. It's coming from Bashar al-Assad uh, in Joshua teenager versus superpower it's coming the pressure's coming from the president of china xi jinping in vietnam it's sort of this faceless bureaucracy that is just immovable and it isn't there isn't one leader who is driving all of this it's just ingrained in the way that the party operates into every aspect of life in vietnam and it is a smash and grab job for party officials that are at the at the higher levels who You know they are now fabulously wealthy, and their kids all go to universities abroad, and they buy, they have fancy cars, and they live in fancy houses. And smash and grab is really the best way to describe it. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a great film in terms of just uh, illuminating uh, this particular part of our world and uh, a world that we should be paying closer attention to. And my my heart goes out to my. Coy and her family, and for the people around her, and for the peoples and the people in the band, and for all the different things that we you touch on in the film, uh, Mike Coy and the Dissidents, and um, congratulations on this, congratulations on being in the Doc NYC, congratulations to you, Joe Piscatello, for your work here.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you today.